Hey, this is Melissa Green, and you are listening to Grace Point Church's podcast. Our vision statement at Grace Point is loving God, loving self, and loving others. If you want to find out more, visit gracepoint.net. Last week, I read a clip from the recent Gentleman's Quarterly um, magazine, an interview done with Duck Dynasty patriarch Phil Robertson. I picked up on one of Phil's statements uh, regarding a quote, and I'm quoting him, concerning homosexual behavior, uh, his words, um, and his use of the biblical text, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, to support his perspective on this particular, um, this particular issue. We can look at it now, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, sodomites, thieves, the greedy, drunkards, revilers, robbers, none of these, and and frankly, this last phrase, will inherit the kingdom of God, is one that deserves a lot of theological exploration. You might think you know what that means, but there's a lot here, biblically. But this is the text that he used, and I, I don't have time to get into all of that. It's noteworthy that the article from the interview had already quoted Uh, Another statement that Phil made about homosexuality was a very crass statement um, on the matter, and we'll forgo that particular quote um, out of discretion. But after the quote that we just read, the second quote from Phil, um, I want to read one more quote that Phil made um, directly to the issue of homosexuality, Uh, appreciable at the first at least. Phil said, we never, and, and I believe this is true about, uh, about them, I get this sense from them, we never ever judge, and I think he means judge here in the terms of eternal, in an eternal sense, we never ever judge someone on who's going to heaven or hell. That's the Almighty's job. We just love them, give them the good news about Jesus, whether they're homosexuals, drunks, or terrorists. And that's a strange admixture. Whether they're, they're homosexuals, drunks, or terrorists, we let God sort them out later. You see what I'm saying. I told you this week that I was going to tell you about some of the things that I agree with Phil, Roberts on, Phil Robertson on. And I am not... That is not a political move, nor will it be patronizing. I sincerely mean that. Um, I think spiritual maturity demands that we follow the way of Jesus. Jesus had the capacity to see the bad in the religious and the good in the irreligious without negating the opposite in either. Jesus didn't polarize, he didn't demonize, or as I said, angelize. So I told you I was going to tell you some things about Phil that... Uh, Phil Robertson and his views, his life that I agree with. Some of the things actually that first drew me and continue, in spite of it all, to draw me to the show beyond the comedic elements because it's very funny to me. Everybody has different forms of humor. Um, I will admit I judge people by how they take humor. If I ever ask you to watch Best in Show with me or Oh Brother Where Art Thou, I'm assessing you. We all have different dumb and dumber, even, planes, trains, and automobiles. Um, Beyond the comedic elements, 
First, let me note, as I talk about uh, Phil and the show, I agree with 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, that certain behaviors are not aligned with the kingdom of God. I agree that our lives are meant to be healthy, whole, and holy. And those three words probably don't need to be listed because they're probably synonymous. Our lives, our lives are meant by God to be healthy, whole, holy. And I believe our sexuality is an important part of our lives and should accordingly be healthy, whole, and holy. I agree with Phil that much of the media-created portrayal of relationships, the portrayal that we see depicted, places like television, um, I agree with Phil that much of those portrayals of relationships, intimate relationships, familial, family relationships, intimate, even sexual relationships, the media created portrayal on some wise of those types of relationships, while I admit it may indeed be indicative of how many people actually do live and how many people have lived for thousands of years. From my perspective, these portrayals through mediums like, and I'm careful when I say this because everything's not all bad or all good, but the portrayals that I am seeing and our kids are witnessing through mediums like VH1 and MTV and some of the reality shows we see there, cable and network television, I think these portrayals are gross misrepresentations, gross distortions of how God intended for us to engage in humane, human, loving, intimate relationships. I agree with Phil's opinion there. I, like Phil, like Phil, I deeply believe in the family. I deeply believe in monogamy. I deeply believe in finding someone to lovingly commit to and become one flesh with and create what I believe and I think Phil believes is still the nucleus of society and maybe even creation if we're not being too narcissistic. And that thing is the family. So I believe in monogamy. I believe in finding that person, not living a wanton Scripture, the old King James called it lascivious, distorted life in regards to intimacy, sexuality, and relationships. Now, Phil and I disagree on some things for sure, just like I disagree with you and you disagree with me. There are some things that Phil and I disagree on strongly. Uh, matters not only of style, even his own family said they don't always say the things he says the way he says them. Even they take exception with the way he says things. That's incredibly cultural, um, not only indigenous to that area, but a lot, a lot of people just talk like that, crass and straightforward. It's personality as much as it's culture. But I not only disagree with Phil on matters of style, I also disagree with him on significant matters of content. Not just manner, but he and I do disagree on the material. 
But I wholeheartedly, on the other side, agree with the essence of the final scene of every Duck Dynasty episode. It's one of the things that draws me. I never shut it off early. I catch the last part at least. The last part of every Duck Dynasty episode is a scene where a multi-generation family, grandparents, parents, and kids, belly up to a supper table, and they give thanks to God always. They give thanks to God for life and family. I, I love the fact that they bear with one another. The whole show generally is about how they get on one another's nerves. In that way, they're very different than most of our families. But, but generally at that table, the point is, in spite of all of these things that divide us, we are here giving thanks to God, remaining lovingly loyal to these broken people sitting beside me, bearing with, forgiving one another, and in spite of the tears, still laughing with one another. And I might say, hospitably opening their table to their friends. That I like. I also agree with the Robertson's family candor and openness with their children. I, I agree with the deep involvement that they take in the lives of their children, multi-generationally. Though the details of our instruction to our children on matters of sexuality and relationships certainly may differ at points. I affirm the openness with which they engage their children. I affirm that. I affirm the active role they play in their children's lives, and that includes their children's sexual and relational development, though often the content makes me cringe. But I, I've got to say this. I applaud the grandfather and the grandmother. I applaud the mother and the father who do not wait and I, I don't say this next list disparagingly because there's good and bad here. I say this neutrally. But I applaud the grandfather and the mother and the grandmother and the father who don't wait for famous people, stars, television personalities, television, social media, the internet, or for that matter, other kids on the bus ride home. I applaud families who don't wait for all of these others to be the primary shapers of their children's views on matters of import. I applaud that. And I'm heartened when I see Phil have time for a grandson, and I don't think it's just the show. I think that's the way he lives his life, take a grandson out in the boat to go fishing and talk about girls, though I cringe <laughs> with some of the content. You see, the point is, do we have to demonize someone that we disagree with, or can we also admit that there are some things there that are good? That was the thing that was, was hard for the people who followed after Jesus or, or left in the wake of his religious approach. It's just so much easier to polarize, and when somebody does something wrong, make them completely out to be a demon. And when somebody does something right, make them completely out to be a hero. Uh, the reality is there are no angels and demons in this conversation and in, in us right now. These are human people doing their best to sort through complex matters. 
I do not agree. I don't agree with, like, or approve of some of Phil Robertson's ideas about these matters. You know what that means? He doesn't like, approve of, or agree with the way I feel. And God knows what right is. Some of his interpretations as it relates to Scripture, holiness, and God's heart are distinctly different than mine. But I believe a family deeply committed to their spouses, I believe a family deeply committed to their children and grandchildren, a family that doesn't whitewash its past or present brokenness, I believe a family that does life together and doesn't shy away from its deep responsibility to actively love one another, I believe a family that comes together around a supper table, a fishing boat, a family that is deeply loyal to one another, deeply open with one another about matters of import, I think that is a model to be valued. And I think, frankly, that it stands in stark contrast to some other sitcoms and reality shows that I'm watching on the same box. It stands in stark contrast to shows that my children have to flip past as long as we continue to have a television, and that's not a no-brainer anymore. Their show stands in stark contrast to some other shows that depict sexuality and relationships in such demeaning, degrading, and destructive ways and make a mockery of the idea of what a family means what holistic intimacy means and mutual love means. So I just want to say to all the parents here, that's about enough of that. In the days ahead, we as Grace Point parents, I commit this to you. In the days ahead, we as Grace Point parents are going to be spending some committed time together discussing these incredibly important matters. And we will, in appropriate and sensitive ways, take our responsibility seriously as we take an active role in the instruction of our kids, especially those, particularly those in our youth group whose bodies are changing, whose minds are developing. Children somewhere between childhood and adulthood, people among us who are setting off into the deep waters of increasingly intimate relationships. The good news is these waters, though challenging and complex, are not uncharted. We adults and many godly people before have sailed there and made shipwreck there, but we have sailed there. We have sailed there and we have mapped, we have mapped the currents, we have mapped the rocks, and we are now responsible to share with our kids the maps that we have drawn about these matters of sexuality and relationships. The, the free love, soul-robbing, body-objectifying, sexually exploiting voices, the confused voices of modern purportedly enlightened media are not new. 
These, and I'll use the, descri- the, the descriptors again, the, the free love, soul-robbing, body-objectifying, sexually exploiting voices of modern, purportedly enlightened media are not new. Confusion as it relates to what a relationship is, what commitment is, what to do with sexuality, that confusion is not new. Um, To varying degree, these voices have been around as long as humankind has existed. Just read the Bible. Study Roman and Greek literature. Look at history in general. These wanton voices in, in relation to sexuality and humanity and relationships, they're not new, but we are facing a, a new danger. Our new danger these days is access and expanded capacities to convey and spread ideas. Whether it's Phil Robertson in GQ magazine or a program a bunch about, uh, about a bunch of hormonal late teens, early 20s who animalistically play out their sexuality in painful and broken ways. We live in an age where access and expanded capacity to convey and spread these ideas is exponential. So now, and I say this as carefully as I can, but now when a young girl that only a few years ago was in a Sunday school class within a few miles of this room, we live in a day when a young girl that only a few years ago was in one of our Sunday school classes here in Franklin when that precious girl feels the desperate, confused need to take all of her clothes off and lament a broken relationship, she has the capacity to express those very real human sensations. But sadly, it gets captured in a multi-million dollar video and she not only swings naked through her own psyche, broken and sad, but she swings naked accruing millions of dollars along the way. She swings on a wrecking ball through a half a billion YouTube viewings, hundreds of which are the responsibility of this church, perhaps. I am open-minded, progressive, and all the other labels that you would want to bear on me. But I want to say on behalf of all of my friends who share those sentiments, this is not what we want for our children. This is not what we're trying to say. Well, I don't want Miley Cyrus or Lady Gaga determining my eight-year-old daughter's view of life in general or sexuality and relationships in specific. Neither do I want some of Phil Robertson's or Duck Dynasty's perspective on these things to be the voice or idea that shapes my children's view of God, life, or other people. And the good news is, in the church, we have another option. This one that we follow, this one named Jesus provides us another option. It is called the third way, and I spoke of it last week. The third way of Jesus is that capacity to get beyond demonization, polarization, and extreme voice It is the ability to look beyond the stained glass and the clerical collar of the religious and delve down into the heart of a Pharisee and say there's evil there 
Be careful. And that same Jesus is the one who was accosted for befriending the prostitute and standing between her and the rocks and saying, there is good here. He is the one that had the capacity to look beyond capitalism and sensationalism, as did a good friend of Melissa's and mine named Randy Alrod, who used to be Miley's pastor at People's Church. And he wrote an incredible blog about that young lady. Lest you forget, she's somebody's daughter. They live in this community and they could be here this morning and they're a good family. Lest you forget that, we must remember the third way of Jesus. The same voice that accosted the religious was the voice that stood between the broken and the rocks and said there's something deeper here. And yes, I know that Lady Gaga's new song. I know, I found out this morning in this holy place that when you pull up, do what you want with my body. A pornographic picture comes on the screen as she turns her back and tells the world what to kiss. But Jesus would not have thrown her away. He would have done what he pressed me to do this morning through his spirit because I knew exactly what she meant by do what you want with my body until I read the words of the song. And then I found out what I thought wasn't true at all. It was actually a reprise of a young girl somewhere between her own adolescence and adulthood. It was a reprise of sticks and stones may break my bones. As she told the world, not sexually do what you want with my body. That can be interpreted that way, but read the song. A young girl who's getting a lot of claim has also subjected herself to a world that says she's too fat, she's too skinny. And she says as much as she tries not to read it, it hurts. You say, I don't feel sorry for her. She subjects herself to it. Fair. But she's somebody's daughter, and I guarantee you they care. And recently when her mother called her and said, I read what they said, and she called her sis, somebody's little girl. See, Jesus remembered that stuff. Jesus remembered that stuff. And Lady Gaga wrote a song that said, you can do what you want with my body. You can throw sticks and stones at it, but you can't have my heart. So, though our kids are interpreting in all sorts of wrong ways, this third way of Jesus has the capacity to look beyond. One of the obvious things, and I'm going to get out of the way now and leave off with a testimony from another family here, and I've, I've got to do that quickly now. One of the obvious things that I believe God sees in Phil and Kay Robertson's family down in Monroe, Louisiana, is their love for one another, their children and grandchildren. They have four sons, Alan, Willie, Jace, and Jep. I met them on A&E uh, a couple of years ago and became a fan. Two weeks ago, I became familiar with another family with the same last name, Robertson, Linda and Rob. Not only do they share the same surname with Phil and Kay, but they share the same faith, Christians. Not only do they share the same faith, they share even the same strain of that faith, conservative evangelical. Interestingly, Linda and Rob Robertson also share with Phil and Kay Robertson the privilege of being parents, and ironically, both couples are parents to four children. You have heard a lot about Phil and Kay Robertson. Many have seen their show, and it might surprise some of you and even anger some of you. I've watched it since last Sunday. 
I have shared some of Phil's GQ article last week. I'll share more in a couple of weeks to come. Dr. Forrest Harris, my friend, a civil rights champion, is going to come two weeks from now and help me as we delve into the other conversation in the GQ article about Jim Crow laws, segregation, and the African-American community. But as I close this service, I'd like to take a few minutes and I'd like to introduce you to Rob and Linda Robertson, a collision of two Robertson families. Linda and Rob are going to speak of some of the same issues that Phil spoke to in Gentlemen's Quarterly a few months ago, or a couple of weeks ago. Rob and Linda are going to talk about family, love, children, and sexuality. The circumstances of their family's life have led them down a path that is different than the Robertson family in Louisiana, though it started in the same place. But it is a path that deserves to be noted. And I'm placing it alongside their Christian brother and sister, Phil and Kay Robertson's story for our reflection, and only our reflection. And the conversation will continue, for it must. So, without further ado, the testimony of Rob and Linda Robertson. Look for it, it's, it's amazing. Please welcome our friends, Rob and Linda Robertson. Greetings, let's stop. Let's stop and uh, say a quick prayer before we start. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us sinners. We are sinners and we're in your hands, Lord. We need your grace, we need your love and your mercy. Be with us as we share one slice of our story. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as Alan said, we're Robin Linda Robertson, and we originally hail from down the freeway a bit, and uh, although we've spent the last 28 years in Seattle, um, which we love. So yeah. thank you for that. Yep, we love the lush green forests, the bike trails along Lake Washington, the Starbucks on every corner, knowing a zillion people who work at Microsoft, um, all the obsessive recyclers, and... and our amazing church community. We know you've heard that it rains and snows all the time in Seattle. It's always cloudy and it's gray and people are super depressed because of it. And we would just like to say this, please keep spreading that rumor. <laughs> okay. So we raised our four children all of whom are exceptionally spunky and goal-oriented, curious, and always up for a challenge. Most certainly, um, having four kids within five years meant that our lives were anything but boring. Over these years, we've heard all kinds of hilarious and insightful, um, insightful, some affirming, and some wonderful things from our kids. But we also heard some unexpected and challenging things. Here are a few of the things that we heard that we can never forget. I hate vacuuming. Why do I have to do this chore? I don't even know if I want to go to college. Mom, I know it's your birthday, but I think you and Dad better come home. The police and the fire department are here. 
hey, Dad, can I make a tennis ball bomb? I can't believe that you just assumed I was going to make the wrong decision. I can't wait to move out of this house. Mom, you and Dad aren't fooling anyone when you lock your door and shuttle the blinds of your room in the middle of the day. We know what you are doing. Hey, Dad, you should probably know that I'm considering using hallucinogens. Dear Mom and Dad, I am sorry, but I have run away. Please don't worry about me. I am so angry. I feel like I want to do everything that I never have done. Cuss, go out and drink, hurt myself. All the things I know that I shouldn't do. Sometimes I think I don't even believe in Jesus anymore. Truth is, I want to kill myself. And I'm not just saying that. I am serious. But by far, the most difficult of all was the message communicated to us on the night of November 20th, 2001. A conversation held over instant messenger. It changed our lives forever. Our 12-year-old son, Ryan, messaged me in my office from the computer in his bedroom. We were completely shocked. As followers of Jesus, it wasn't that we didn't know and love gay people. My only brother had come out to us 10 years before, and we adored him. We even had a hate is not a family value bumper sticker. But Ryan? He was unafraid of anything, tough as nails, and all boy. He had tons of guy friends and was never interested in his sister's toys. We had not seen this coming. It was one thing to love my gay brother. Having a gay son was a completely different thing. We still felt a great deal of love for our son, but the emotion that overwhelmed us, the emotion that kept us awake at night and sadly influenced all of our reactions over the next six years was fear. We said all the things we thought loving Christian parents who believed the Bible, the Word of God, which we did and we do, should say. We love you. We will always love you. And this is hard, really hard. But we know what God says about this, and so you're going to have to make some really difficult choices. We love you. We couldn't love you more. But there are other men who have faced the same struggle and God has worked in them to change their desires. We'll get you their books. You can listen to their testimonies and we'll trust God with this. We love you. We are so glad you are our son. But you're only 12 and your sexual orientation is still developing. The feelings you have that you've had for other guys don't make you gay. So please don't tell anyone about that, that you are gay. You don't know who you are yet. Your identity is not that you're gay. It is that you're a child of God. We love you. Nothing will change that. But if you are going to follow Jesus, holiness is your only option. You are going to have to choose to follow Jesus no matter what. And since you know what the Bible says, and since you want to follow God, embracing your sexuality is not an option.
We thought we understood the magnitude of the sacrifice that we and God were asking for. And we, we, um, and the sacrifice we knew would lead to the abundant life, perfect peace, and eternal rewards. Ryan had always felt intensely drawn to spiritual things. He desired to please God above all else. So for the first six years, he tried to choose Jesus. Like so many others before him, he pleaded with God to help him be attracted to girls. He memorized scripture, met with his youth pastor weekly, enthusiastically went to all the youth group events and Bible studies. He chose to get baptized. He filled journals with his prayers. He read voraciously, you don't have to be gay, desires in conflict, and the search for significance, and got us to read them too. Ryan dove into counseling to further discover the whys of this unwanted attraction toward other guys, actually making a poster-sized diagram entitled Perception of Inadequacy Towards Father, showing the complex factors that he believed resulted in his eroticized desires for other boys. He worked through painful conflict resolution with Rob and I and invested more deeply in his friendships with other guys straight guys, just like the reparative therapy experts advised. For his 17th birthday, he asked if he and Rob could go to the Exodus Conference in Indiana. He even came out to his entire youth group, giving his testimony before over 100 teenagers of how God had rescued him from the traps of the enemy and sharing by memory verse after verse that God had used to speak to him. Rob and I, too, did everything we knew to help Ryan seek healing and holiness. We read all the books about how we might have influenced Ryan negatively and took the recommended steps. Rob intentionally pursued Ryan, doing the things they both loved, snowboarding, hiking, riding the scariest roller coasters in the U.S. Um, I purposely withdrew a bit, making sure that Rob was the primary parent and the one doing the most nurturing and intimate connection with our son. We facilitated all kinds of masculine activities and friendships, as well as actively supporting the many efforts Ryan was making to seek God and to engage in spiritual things. Christian summer camps, guitar lessons with godly role models, always saying yes to rides over to his discipleship group leader's house, where he spent a lot of time. And we prayed, oh, how we prayed. We wanted to be like the woman in the parable who keeps bothering the judge so often that he finally relents. We longed to wear God out so that he would finally have pity on us and answer our prayers to remove the unwanted same-sex attractions from our son and replace them with normal desires for girls. We made a binder of scripture prayers and, um, for every day and put them by our toilet so that every time we went to the bathroom, we would lift Ryan up before Jesus using God's own word. <laughs> We had a whole team of prayer warriors, too, who were all committed to praying with us for Ryan over the years, and we'd update them regularly with new answers to prayer and urgent requests when things got hard. And God reminded us of his presence and his faithfulness. He was clearly hearing our prayers. And our faith in God's intimate involvement in our lives grew to an extent that we have never experienced before. Except nothing really changed. God didn't answer our prayer, Ryan's prayer or ours. 
for the thing we all desired most. We all believed with great faith that the God of the universe, the God for whom nothing is impossible, could easily make Ryan straight. But he did not. Though our hearts may have been good, we truly thought that what we were doing was loving. We did not even give Ryan a chance to wrestle with God, to figure out what he believed God was telling him through the scripture and through the Holy Spirit about his sexuality. We shielded Ryan from any liberal Christians who believed that being gay was okay, even from his own uncle. He didn't know any gay Christians, only Christians who used to be gay when they were away from God, when they were walking in sin. We had believed firmly in giving each of our four children the space to question Christianity, to decide for themselves if they wanted to follow Jesus, to truly own their own faith. But we were too afraid to give Ryan that room when it came to his sexuality for fear that he would make the wrong choice. Basically, we told our son that he had to choose between Jesus and his sexuality. We forced him to make a choice between God and being a sexual person. Choosing God practically meant living a lifetime condemned to being alone. As a 17-year-old, Ryan had to accept that he would never have the chance to fall in love, have his first kids, kiss, hold hands, share the intimacy and companionship that we do, or experience romance. And so, just before his 18th birthday, Ryan, depressed, suicidal, disillusioned, and convinced that he would never be able to be loved by God, made a new choice. He decided to throw out his Bible and his faith at the same time, and to try searching for what he desperately wanted, peace, another way. And the way he chose to try first was drugs. We had unintentionally taught Ryan to hate his sexuality. And since sexuality cannot be separated from self, we had taught Ryan to hate himself. So as he began to use drugs, he did so with a recklessness and a lack of caution for his own safety that was alarming to everyone who loved him. Suddenly, our fear of Ryan someday having a boyfriend, a possibility that had honestly terrified me, seemed trivial in contrast to our fear of Ryan's death, especially in light of his recent rejection of Christianity and his mounting anger at God. Ryan started with weed and beer, but in six short months was using cocaine, crack, and heroin. He was hooked from the beginning, and his self-loathing and rage at God for not answering his prayers only fueled his addiction. Shortly after, we lost contact with him. For the next year and a half, we didn't know where he was, or even if he was dead or alive. And during that horrific time, God got our full attention. We stopped praying for Ryan to become straight. We started praying for him to know that God loved him. We stopped praying for him never to have a boyfriend. We started praying that sometime, someday he'd return to Jesus. We even stopped praying for him to come home to us. We started praying for God to protect his soul. Yeah. 
By the time our son called us, after 18 long months of silence, God had completely changed our perspective. Ryan had done some pretty terrible things while he was using drugs, so the first thing he asked me was this. Mom, do you think you and Dad could ever forgive me? I told him, of course, it was already forgiven. He had always been forgiven. Mom, do you think you and Dad could ever love me again? I told him we'd never stop loving him, not for one second. We loved him more than we ever loved him. Mom, do you think you and Dad could love me with a boyfriend? Crying, I told him we could love him with 15 boyfriends. <laughs> we just wanted him back in our lives. We just wanted to have a relationship with him again and with his boyfriend. And a new journey was begun, one of healing, restoration, open communication, and grace, lots of grace. And God was present every step of the way, leading and guiding us, gently reminding us to simply love our son and leave the rest up to him. Over the next 10 months, we learned to truly love our son, period. No buts, no conditions, just because he breathes. We learned to love whoever our son loved, and it was easy. What I had been so afraid of became a blessing. The journey wasn't without mistakes, but we had grace for each other, and the language of apology and forgiveness became a natural part of our relationship. As our son pursued recovery from drug and alcohol addiction, we pursued him. God taught us how to love him, to rejoice over him, to be proud of the man he was becoming. We were all healing, and most importantly, Ryan began to think that if we could forgive him and love him, then maybe God could too. And then Ryan made the classic mistake of a recovering addict. He got back together with his old friends, his using friends, and one evening that was supposed to be just a night at the movies turned out to be the first time he had shot up in 10 months, and the last time. We got a phone call from a social worker at Harborview Medical Center in Seattle asking us to come identify our son, that he had arrived there in a coma in critical condition. We spent 17 days at Harborview during which time our whole family was able to surround and love on Ryan. We experienced miracle after miracle during that time, things that no doctor had any explanation for. God's presence was tangible in Ryan's room, but that is a whole other story. Though Ryan had suffered such severe brain damage, they had almost complete paralysis. The doctors told us that he could very well outlive us. But unexpectedly, Ryan died on July 16, 2009. And we lost the ability to love our gay son because we no longer had a gay son. What we had wished for, prayed for, hoped for, that we would not have a gay son came true. But not at all in the way we used to envision. The tale of two Robertson families. The complexity is such 
that we dare not get lost in paragraph-long, hurtful sound bites. And yet at the same time, I don't want my children lost in a loose and wanton, androgynous, explorative, be anything, do anything, somewhere between the extremes. We seek, O oh Lord, a third way, so that we be not complicit in the pain brought by the Pharisee, that we be not complicit in the confusion brought by adversaries on the other side. Save us, Lord, from extremism. Save us, Lord, from polarizing words. Save us, Lord, from insensitivities. As we, like both Robertson families, love you and follow you, as we, like both Robertson families, seek your way, seek to understand your voice in Scripture, the intuitive voice of the Holy Spirit, as we, parents and children alike, seek you, Lord. Lord, may we find this third way of grace and truth. May we, Lord, care for our children well. And by grace, would you, sweet Christ, teach us what that means? But, oh, Lord, help us to not learn it in an intensive care units, desperate separations. Help us to learn it as we, with courage, bravery, and grace, come together on mornings like this to give Phil and Kay Robertson and Linda and Rob Robertson space at our table of communion. We pray, Lord, that your guiding voice would separate truth from error. And Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. Gentle shepherd, all the way my Savior leads me. Heal us, Lord, by your love. Teach us indeed what holiness is until we all stand, until we all are bound by the grace that has brought us thus far eternal without end. Until that day, Lord, may we start by being good to one another, by understanding, by opening our hearts. Teach the church, Lord. Teach the church as we care for your children. We pray all of this now, knowing that no matters have been settled today. No conversation has been ended. We would not devalue this holy moment by putting a period on the end of this time. 
but continue to guide us as a church that we might honor you. And for those that feel affirmed by Phil and Kay Robertson, bring them back to break bread. For those who feel affirmed by Linda and Robertson, Linda and Rob, bring them back to break bread. And for all those struggling betwixt, grace, grace, marvelous, wonderful grace, please come down from the Father above upon us. As we rest in that, as we trust you, we follow. We pray all of these things now in Christ's name. And God's people said, now go and be good to one another and kiss your children twice.